Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? What would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness. And yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake up call. Welcome back to the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I am Melissa Dealey and I am the host of this podcast. And today I want to talk to you about sleep. As an integrative health practitioner, I truly understand the importance of sleep. But this is something that we all do, hopefully every day. And yet most of us have never been taught how important it is or how to optimize your sleep. And so today I wanna bring you some facts around sleep. And I'm hoping that in understanding those facts of how important sleep is, that it might actually motivate you to make sleep more of a priority in your life. You see, I like to recommend that people actually plan their day around their sleep because that is how important sleep is. And what I mean by that is, if you know that you need to get up at 6 a.m. and we humans need seven to nine hours of sleep every night, you should really be going to bed around 9.30 p.m. in order to allow your body and your mind to wind down for lights out around 10, 10.30 p.m. so that you're getting that seven to nine hour window of sleep. But what many of us do is we just get so busy in our daily lives that we keep doing, doing, doing more. And before we know it, we're getting to bed at midnight or later and still getting up at 6 a.m. So we're squeezing out our sleep. And this actually has long-term negative health benefits. And as we haven't been taught how to optimize our sleep or the importance of sleep, you're doing this unaware of those long-term health benefits. And so today's podcast episode is designed to teach you this because as I love to say, when we know better, we do better. And when you understand this, you might be able to start shifting some of your habits in order to get better sleep. We all have daily habits that are negatively impacting our sleep. And when we don't know, we aren't able to make a decision to change it. But when we know what's happening and we know why that habit might be negatively impacting our sleep, we can make a conscious choice to make some change. So I'd love to start out with some facts. And before the end of the episode, I'm going to leave you with some tips that you can start implementing tonight if you choose. And I hope that you do. In our modern world that has us so busy in that go, go, go phase, 
over 70 million Americans have some sort of sleep disorder. And people are buying sleep aid over-the-counter medicines like crazy and potentially using them way too much. Did you know you're only supposed to be using them for seven to 10 days consecutively and not relying on them to help you get to sleep every single night? Because those over-the-counter meds are actually then negative impact, negatively impacting your gut. And that can put you into a cycle where the health of your gut is now negatively impacting your sleep. And did you also know that humans are the only mammal that actually voluntary, voluntarily delays sleep? All the other mammals know to sleep when they're tired, but we're always just trying to do more and it's causing us physical health problems. And if you think about it, going back to the beginning of time before the advent of electricity, our hunter-gatherer forebears would go to sleep when it was dark and they would wake at dawn. And our hormones work with that natural cycle. And our human body is very slow to change through the evolution of time. And so our hormones today still work with that natural cycle, but we don't realize that and don't allow that flow because we have electricity, we have computers, we have TV, we have all of these screens that keep us busy late into the night. But the way that our hormones work for optimal sleep is that we should be getting into bed between 10 and 11 p.m. every night. And the reason for that is, is that we have two hormones that are impacting this. One of them is cortisol. And we want cortisol to be at its highest in the morning to wake us up and give us energy to start our day. And it slowly drops throughout the day. And it is at its lowest between 10 and 11 at night. The inverse hormone of cortisol is melatonin. And melatonin is at its highest between 10 and 11 p.m. at night. And so that is the perfect ratio or inverse relationship between these two hormones that allows our body to get into a nice, deep, restorative sleep. However, we mess with the production of melatonin by looking at screens because screens emit a blue light, which I'm sure you've heard of. And blue light is also emitted by the sun at high noon. So blue light tells the brain that it's high noon and it's not yet time to be getting ready for bed. And blue light actually prevents the production of melatonin for half an hour after you get off the screen. So if you are using a screen, TV, computer, phone, tablet that is emitting blue light in the evening, you might be on screens for three hours at the end of your day. When you get off that screen, your body can't produce melatonin for another 90 minutes. And so if you're thinking that you're gonna get off the screen and then hop into bed, you might fall asleep, but you're not gonna fall into the deep restorative sleep that your body truly needs. And your body needs to get this deep restorative sleep because it is when we are asleep that the body detoxes, which is super important. And if you heard 
previous episodes, you heard me talking about the toxic world that we live in. So we need to support our body in its nightly detox. And the other thing that the body is doing is it is healing and rejuvenating overnight. Every waking moment, we are undergoing very mild brain damage. And then the brain repairs itself while we sleep. But if we're not getting enough sleep, the body can't fully complete the process. And so this is why sleep is so important. And it's not just the number of hours you spend in bed, but it's deep restorative sleep with the body able to fully flow through the four different stages of sleep multiple times through the night. So let me share you some more facts, uh, more facts around sleep. Adults who are 45 and older and sleep less than six hours per night, and this is extremely common, they increase their chance of heart attack or stroke by 200% in their lifetime compared to those who get eight hours of sleep per night. And I don't think anybody wants that. It's just, we haven't been taught the importance of sleep. We are, we're born, we sleep in the womb, we're born and as babies we sleep. And it's just assumed that we all know how to sleep and that we know the importance of sleep. But we know that's not true. I hear people saying all the time, sleep is overrated. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Is that you? Or have you heard people say that? You know it's true, right? So I hope that after this podcast that you are motivated to really reprioritize your sleep and plan your day around your sleep. Now, here's something super interesting. When we go on daylight savings, which is my favorite day of the year because I love the light in the evening, more time to do things at the end of the workday, right? But we lose an hour of sleep that one night while we spring forward. And interestingly, hospitals report a 24% increase in heart attacks the next day after just everybody losing one hour of sleep. And then the flip side in the fall, when we fall back, they report a drop in the number of heart attacks the next day by 21%. Interesting, hey? So, the other thing, too, is that the brain cannot catch up with naps. It will catch up some, but not all missed sleep. And I've been surprised to come across a number of adults that regularly take daily naps because they're tired and they're listening to their body. And that's great, except that we can get into a cycle where those daily naps are then impacting our ability to sleep well at nighttime. So I'm not really a proponent of napping, certainly not every day. If you're napping because you're coming down with something and your body's sick and it's fighting it, your immune system's working really hard, great. Listen to your body then. Get the extra rest that your body needs. But daily naps are actually negatively impacting your nighttime sleep and we need to break that habit and when we break that habit and we get you sleeping at night then and sleeping well then you're not going to need those daily naps interestingly 
after 20 hours awake, you are actually as impaired as if you were drunk and therefore you absolutely should not be driving. And so that's something to think about as well. Maybe not right now during COVID times, but think about all the times that you've traveled. And travel days are long days from getting up and getting yourself to the airport, however long that might take, waiting at the airport, of course, you know, going through security, checking in, all of that takes time. Then your flight, wherever you're flying to, how long is that flight? Arriving at the other end and then getting to wherever it is you're going. But when you arrive at the other end, have you booked a rental car? And how long have you been awake for in that process? Should you be booking a rental car and driving in an unfamiliar place? Or would it be better to be perhaps booking a hotel shuttle, arranging a driver, arranging somebody to pick you up if you're going to a place where you know people? So think about that the next time you're really short on sleep. Should you be getting behind the wheel of the car? And the problem is, is we can't test for um, sleep <laughs> deprivedness per se, the way we can test for alcohol. So police don't do sleep tests like they do alcohol tests. But what's interesting is that accidents caused by drivers that have fallen asleep are actually way worse than accidents that are caused by drivers that are drunk. Because what happens is when you've fallen asleep, if the brain is so tired, it takes six second naps on you. So it's so exhausted, it's going to sleep for six seconds at a time. Well, when you're asleep, you don't react. Whereas a drunk driver tends to have slower reactions, but there's some reaction, some attempt to swerve, some attempt for it not to happen. And so the statistics do show that accidents caused by people who have fallen asleep are far worse than accidents caused by drunk drivers. And so both of these should be absolutely illegal. It's just there isn't a way to test for that sleep-deprived driver. Uh, you would know very well that your diet impacts your sleep. What are you eating at the end of your day or throughout your day? And not only what are you eating, what are you drinking? Many of us start our day with caffeine. We wake up and we use that caffeine to kick us into gear. Sometimes we wake up feeling sleep deprived, even though we've been in bed all night. And we need that caffeine to get us going. The problem is, is that caffeine has an eight hour half-life. So if you have a cup of coffee at, say, 8 a.m., you have half of that still in your bloodstream at 4 p.m., and you have half of that again still in your bloodstream at midnight. So if you've just had that one cup of coffee, you still have caffeine in your bloodstream as you're trying to go to bed between that 10 to 11 p.m. window. But if you've had more than one cup of coffee and you've had them throughout the day and sometimes even early afternoon, you have a lot of caffeine running through your bloodstream at the time that you're trying to go to sleep. And you might feel exhausted, but your mind is still going. And so when I work with clients, one of the things that we do, especially for that person that's kind of feeling tired, but wired, and then at bedtime, you know, they've been tired all day and now they're wired at bedtime. 
one of the things we do is we start to break that caffeine habit. And interestingly, that caffeine that was the crutch to get them going, when we break that habit and get them sleeping well, so they don't need to rely on caffeine in the morning, they actually end up with more energy and love how they're sleeping. And if they love the taste of caffeine, then maybe we do decaf, or maybe we simply limit it to one cup. But in many cases, people are like, now that I'm off it, I don't want to go back to it. Because caffeine tricks your body into not knowing how tired you really are. And then you tend to push through that ideal sleep window of 10 to 11 p.m., get your second wind because your cortisol level starting to rise again and give you energy and you don't end up having a long enough restorative enough sleep and you wake up tired again the next day. So sleep also regulates your appetite and due to the hormones leptin and ghrelin. Leptin is our satiety hormone and it gets suppressed due to lack of sleep. And what that means is that due to lack of sleep, your body isn't telling you when you are satiated, when you feel full. So you end up eating more. And it makes sense in that we need energy to function. Our brain needs energy and it gets energy from food or sleep. If you haven't had enough sleep, your brain's going to be looking for more energy. And if it's the middle of your workday, it's not like you can just take a nap. And I already told you what I think of naps and daily naps, but you're going to reach for food in order to give your body energy. Well, very often it's quick energy foods that are high in sugar and not really what the body needs. And when we do that too many times through the day, we still have that sugar running through our bloodstream when we're trying to go to sleep. Not to mention the impact it has on our insulin levels because every time we eat it, it spikes our insulin. It's short-lived. We feel great for a little while. It's short-lived. We crash. We want something more. We again reach for coffee or quick fix sugar to bring us back up. And we're on this roller coaster ride all day long. And if we keep doing this over a long enough period of time, it can lead to type 2 diabetes, which is a very common chronic illness in our world today. So are you starting to see how the connection between our sleep, what we eat, what we drink, and how we get into this cycle that just has it, we get stuck in. We wake up feeling tired and the day starts again, caffeine and sugar. We can't sleep at night because it's still in our bloodstream and we do it all again the next day. And when we haven't been taught this and we don't realize it, we don't know that we're doing anything wrong. And of course, sugar is in everything these days. So it's really easy to get those quick fix sugary treats to boost our energy. And let's face it, they taste good and they make us feel good, but they're doing so much damage. So if you don't get enough sleep every night, you will actually consume about 200 more calories the following day to make up for it. And if you're doing this day in and day out, 200 calories per day equals 73,000 calories per year. 
which equates to about 15 to 20 pounds of body weight. So there's many people that are wanting to lose weight and are struggling with that. One of the reasons they might be struggling is because they're not getting good enough sleep. It's not the only reason. It could be because they're fueling themselves through the day with these sugary treats and drinks and caffeine, etc. Could be hormone imbalances, could be gut health imbalances. There's not just one reason. But for people struggling to lose weight, we need to consider all of these things. So other um, problems that can trigger sleep can be nutrient deficiencies. So for instance, magnesium deficiency can cause insomnia. And as it turns out, about 80% of the North American population is deficient in magnesium. We're no longer getting it through our food due to depleted soil levels, and we need to be supplementing. And if we're not supplementing and we're not getting enough, it can actually cause insomnia. And there's been research done that shows that giving magnesium to people that are classified as insomniacs has actually resulted in 100% of them losing that label. A deficiency in vitamin C can cause you to wake up more often through the night and create an interrupted sleep for you. So you're starting to see just how important sleep is and some of the things that we do in our daily life unknowingly that can cause things to go wrong. So sleep also boosts the health of our immune system. And of course, we all want our immune system to be stronger, especially now in order to be fighting off viruses and this pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. But what we do know is that with only four hours of sleep in a night, studies show a 70% reduction in cancer killer cells after just one night. And we all have cancer cells in our body and we all have cancer killer cells in our body. And the reality is that I want my cancer killer cells to win. Everything in the body needs to be in balance. And so it's very important to me to ensure that those cells are in balance. I do not want to be killing off my cancer killer cells. They are very important to me. And so, yes, in my younger years as a university student and young 20 something, I had the occasional, you know, night of only four hours of sleep a night. And I didn't know any of this back then. But now that I know this, I ensure that I am getting the sleep I need because I want to be allowing my body to rejuvenate and restore overnight and looking after the health of my organs that are inside that I don't otherwise see and to allow my body to be in balance. So I offer a program called Six Steps to Better Sleep that through this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few episodes. And today I want to talk about step one, because this is a takeaway that, as I said at the very beginning, you can start implementing tonight. And what that is, is to let your body know it's time for bed. Remember at the beginning, I talked about the fact that our hunter-gatherer forebears 
woke with the dawn and went to sleep when it was dark, their body was using the natural light in order to signal to the brain the time to start producing melatonin. Dusk was the time the body started producing melatonin. But our bodies in the modern world are not producing it at dusk because we have the advent of electricity. So the brain doesn't know, it doesn't get the same signals. So we actually have to create a pattern that teaches the brain that this is what we do and this means I'm going to bed so that the brain starts to clue into this pattern and then starts producing melatonin. So I call this your bedtime hygiene routine. And if you have children, you probably have a bedtime routine for your children. I know I had bedtime routines for my children and I know I had them as a child. Something like eat dinner, play time, and then have a bath, get your PJs on, brush your teeth, read a story, lights out. And it was in the same order every night. When I implemented that for my own kids, it was really out of habit, you know, kind of doing what my parents did for me. And also because I thought it was convenient for me because the kids knew the routine and they were in most cases more likely to be compliant with it when they knew what was coming next. But what I now know is that that bedtime hygiene routine was getting their body to start producing melatonin. And that it's not just kids that need a bedtime hygiene routine. It's all of us, no matter what the age is. And so this bedtime hygiene routine is a series of four to six steps that you create for yourself that you do in the same order every single night for 30 nights. And as you build this habit over 30 nights, your brain starts to figure out, oh, he's doing this, then he's going to do this, then he's going to do this and this, and then go to bed. So when I see him doing this, I know it's time to start producing melatonin. So some examples of this may be, you know, wash the dishes, put the dogs out for five minutes, have a shower, and get into bed and read a book. It may include journaling. It may include some yoga or some stretching exercises. It, you know, there's any number of things that it can include. It's, um, it's all about making a schedule that works for you. So for me, for example, it's, um, what I like to do is I like to do some yoga, calm my body, stretch my body at the end of the day, wash my face, brush my teeth. Sometimes it may be a bath with some Epsom bath salts. And then it's get into bed and read. And I like to read for at least half an hour. And I'm reading a book, not a tablet, because again, I don't want that blue light. And that is what triggers my brain to know that she's getting ready for bed, she's calming down and getting off screens and it's time to start producing melatonin. And I've been doing this for a number of years now, so it isn't exactly in the same order each night, but that time period of winding down and getting ready for bed is about a 45 minute to one hour process depending on the night. And that's enough time for my brain to 
figure this out and start producing melatonin. So some other things that you can be doing is, you know, you can actually start to dim your lights in the house before you get into bed so that you're creating a little bit more of a, of a dusk inside the home. So that's one thing that you can be doing. You can be, you know, tidying up things from your day that might be part of your routine. You might be practicing some meditation or some yoga like I love to do, washing your face, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, putting PJs on, maybe listening to some binaural beats or some calming music, etc. There's many things that you can build into this routine. Something else that I love to do as part of this practice is after I finish reading my book is a practice of gratitude. So I have a journal by my bed and some days I might journal about my day or some days I just might go straight into my gratitude journal and I will write down three things that I'm grateful for in my day. And what I love about this is that it allows my brain to go to sleep happy instead of worried about something that went wrong through the day or already thinking about my busy day tomorrow. When our brain goes to sleep happy, that's what it has. It's mulling over throughout the night and it allows for a, a much more restorative sleep because it's, you're not waking yourself up thinking about all the things that you have to do tomorrow and being in that stress state that's producing cortisol. And our brain is trained to keep us safe. That's its job. So as we go through any day, it is always looking for the danger or the negative. And so when we take the time every day to actually start looking for the positive, it shifts your mood as well. And each day feels better because if you know you're going to write three things you're grateful for in your gratitude journal in the evening as you go to bed, you're going to start noticing them through the day and saying, oh, I got to write that in my gratitude journal tonight. I'm going to remember that. And then throughout the day, you're also focusing on the positive. You're looking for the things to be grateful for rather than just allowing your brain to take over and look for the danger and focus on the negative. A couple of other awesome things that you can do as you're getting ready for bed. I mentioned that I love to take baths. So a hot um, bath with Epsom bath salts in them, which have magnesium. And I mentioned magnesium before and the fact that 80% of North Americans are deficient. The skin absorbs the Epsom bath salts really well and they have magnesium in them. So you could put one cup of magnesium into a bath and you could also add a cup of baking soda because baking soda helps induce sleep and the magnesium is helping the body relax and also restoring the deficient magnesium levels. So um, those are some extra tips for you as you plan out your bedtime hygiene routine and in addition to the gratitude journal, it may be helpful if you have um, a busy day the following day, you're trying to remember a lot of things, perhaps you're doing a presentation or something, you've got a lot on your mind that I call it a brain dump. Write all of these things down because when you write them down in this journal, 
your brain doesn't have to have them swirling around all night long. Your brain can actually let these things go because you know you've written it down. It's going to be there when you wake up. You can instead let your brain focus on the gratitude, go to sleep relaxed and happy and have a much more restorative sleep. So I hope that's helpful for you. I love helping clients with sleep because it's something that we all have to do every single day. And for people that struggle, many times it's simply because they don't realize the habits they have that are negatively impacting their sleep. And so starting out with just creating a bedtime hygiene routine is a great place to get started. And in my next podcast on sleep, I will be talking about setting up your bedroom for comfort and optimal sleep, as well as four more quick tips on helping you sleep well through the night and wake up, waking up um, feeling rejuvenated and restored. So until next time, thank you for joining me today. And don't forget, health is your true wealth. Make sleep a new priority. Thank you for investing this time with me on the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you joined in. If you can take two minutes to share this episode with someone you think can benefit and have a positive impact on their life, that would be wonderful. Please leave a review by going to your favorite podcast listening app and let me know what you enjoy or would like to hear more of. It will support me in my effort to bring the possibility of natural healing to a wider audience and help disrupt the sick care system we have today and make human health a global priority. Health is your true wealth.